0: Connection Church's podcast. How are we doing this morning? Yeah? How are we doing this morning, church? Come on now. We doing all right? Awesome, awesome. My name is Cody. I am the student pastor here at Connection Church, and I have the privilege to be able to bring the word to you this morning as we continue in our all-in series. You guys enjoyed the series so far? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I think Brandon's in here. Y'all better you know what I'm talking about? There you go. Well, what this All In series entails is we're talking about what it means to be all in, personally, individually in our faith, and corporately as a church, and what that means for us, and how we're to go out and be all in for Christ. So we're just going to continue and dive right into that. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Psalm 71, 17 through 18, Psalm 71, 17 through 18. When you get there, somebody shout out Hallelujah. That's so what I'm talking about. We're getting there. Let's me know where you are. This is not the text that we're going to study in depth today, but it is one that has been on my heart as it is perfectly aligns with what we're talking about here this morning. So Psalm 71, 17 through 18, That we're going to pray. It'll be up on the screen if you do not have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, stop by one of our guest services. We'd love to give you a Bible if you do not have one. 17 and 18, it says, O oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and still, pro- still I proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Somebody say generation. That's right, I like that. Your power to come. Your power to all those to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can stand on it as truth. We thank you that you are here this morning. Lord, send the Holy Spirit in this place. Stir our hearts. Father, we ask that you burden our hearts for the things that you would like for us to do with our ministries. I pray, Lord, it is my deepest prayer that no one in this room feels satisfaction or fulfillment unless we are fulfilling the ministry that you have called us to. Lord, because apart from you, there is no ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment, and it's in your son's precious name. Everybody said... Amen. Well, I thought we'd have a little bit of fun this morning. How many of you guys can agree with me that today you are not the same person as you were maybe five years ago? Things have changed. Would you guys agree? Things have changed. You're maybe not the same person three years ago, two years ago, or maybe even a week ago. We are constantly changing. And I, as I was preparing for my sermon, I was I was studying like generational gaps and generational things and and I was challenged to look at myself, how much I've changed. And my wife and my kids and I, we're relatively new to Statesboro. We moved from Texas about a month and a half ago to, to be a part of Connection, and we're absolutely loving it. But one thing, one thing that I was listening to as preparing this, I was like, you know what? These guys don't know a lot about me. I think I'll share a little bit about myself by showing you how much my taste in music has changed. So I mean, how many of you guys listen to the same music today that you did 15 years ago? See, I see kind of the older generation, you know, raising their hands, um, not to call you out or anything. I am a student pastor, disclaimer, just to let you know. Um, but anyway, when I, was, when I was younger, my family and I, we lived in Denver, Colorado, and we lived kind of in the project area of Denver. I mean, it was rough. I mean, there was gang violence, there was gangs all over the place. It was, it was not the area you want to have your, your pool party at. You wouldn't want to say, hey, everybody come over to my house. It was horrible. Not the best place. And the, you become products of your environment, though. Like, I was listening to all the music that was being pumped in and all the language. I remember, like, walking into my house one day going, hey, mom, what's up, homie? You know, she grabbed my hand and walked me across the stage. Uh-uh, not my boy. And she would, like, give me a little Texas swat or wash my mouth out with soap. You know, you're not going to talk like that. But I did soak in the music. I loved the music. How many of you guys know Tupac? <laughs> Somebody's like, what's a Tupac. How many you guys like Tupac? That was my jam, and I can't believe that we're listening to Tupac this morning. I got a little clip. This was my jam when I was younger. Let's listen to this. Let me know if y'all know this song. Yeah. Turn it up. Uh-huh. California knows how to party. I don't know what it means, but I loved it. I mean, that was my jam. I used to hear that song, like, yeah. By the way, welcome to Connection Church. We do not listen to Tupac all the time if you're a first time visitor, just to let you know. But that was my jam, but things changed. I, I moved on, we moved to Texas. We lived off the land, we became like farmers. It was intense change, but we became living off the land and, and bailing hay, milking cows, you name it. I mean, I was, that was the scene. So I got into country music. Like, I mean, hardcore country. I'm Randy Travis. Brooks and Dunn, you know that was a boot scooting boogie all day long. You guys know what song I'm talking about too. I was honky tonk central. I mean, I was, I was I loved all the songs about the dirt roads, dead dogs, church on Sunday morning. It was it was good. It was good. But things changed once again. Grew up a little bit. Got into that like hard rock. Oh, ah, ah, ah. you know that you know that scene. I got into that like that was pretty good. I'll do that again later. Um, I got into that rock scene and then I moved into this, this artsy, we moved back to Colorado, got into this artsy John Mayer, Dave Matthews, do I have any John Mayer, Dave Matthews fans in here? Yeah. yeah. I'm still into that music, I love it. I love John Mayer, Dave Matthews, they got, I, I love it. Coffee shop scene, I'm really into the folk scene now. But since then, I met this fine girl, I mean she's hot. It is my wife, just to let you know. And we had two beautiful babies. And things have changed dramatically in the music that I listen to. I went to get in the car the other day, and you know, I was like, you know what? I need some jam. Let me turn up the radio, and this is what I heard. Y'all listen to this. Mm. Yeah. This is my jam. The Lord told Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I, 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 I tell you all that to tell you that we are constantly changing in the things that we think. Our emotions change. Our, our our physical features change. Everything about us changes. I'm not the same person today that my wife married. My my, hopefully I've changed for the better. But I'm a different. I'm a completely different person as far as um, views on certain things. Our our political views change sometimes. And as we change, we tend to change culture around us. Our culture is influenced and generations change. Things that, things that were, were not okay when I was in high school are okay now, like selfies and skinny jeans. You guys know what I'm talking about? I've, if you would have walked up to me and my buddies in high school when I was in high school and said, hey, dude, you want to take a selfie? I'd have been like, mm-mm, spirit to slap on somebody selfies, and then I see people wearing, I saw people wearing skinny jeans. I used to make fun of those people wearing skinny jeans. I'm like, they're wearing girl pants. Those are girls' pants. What are you doing, bro? But things change, and now I'm wearing skinny jeans. Things change. I, I like it. Man, they're comfy too. I tell you what, they're good. But I tell you all that, I tell you all that because the, not that the psalmist is writing about selfies and skinny jeans, But the psalmist in that psalm that we just read, he was saying, Lord, you taught me from when I'm young, and please do not forsake me, do not take me, do not end my life, do not bring me home until I'm able to proclaim your word, your goodness, your might to the next generation. That's what he's saying. No matter if I'm young, no matter if I'm old, allow me to proclaim your word, your goodness to the next generation. No matter what changes, generations, us as individuals, we have we have a responsibility as Christians to invest into the next generation. We have that responsibility. It's important that we know that no matter what changes, the one thing that doesn't change is the word of God that needs to be filtered through our generations. It sounds nice. It sounds nice, but doing it is a completely different animal. I mean, it's tough. It is really tough. But I can remember, no matter how much I changed, you know what I remember the most? I'm sure you guys would agree those people who influenced my life, positively or negatively. I remember those people. How many of you guys remember those people that impacted you growing up? I can't tell you every song that I listened to, but I can tell you who influenced me, positively or negatively. And it's important that we understand that we all have a part part to play in this role of fulfilling the ministry of getting the next generation going for Christ. And we all have a specific area of influence. 2 Timothy 4, 5, the Apostle Paul writes to one of his disciples. The Apostle Paul, mind you, is in prison awaiting execution. Anytime somebody walks by, I can imagine him going, is it my time yet? Is it my time yet? So these are some of his last words. And people's last words, you'll hold on to forever. And those are some of the most important words that come from people's mouths in their last moments. So Paul writes to Timothy, some of his last words are, as for you... Always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. God has given each and every single one of us a ministry to fulfill. We have a specific influence, we have a specific reach, our families, our jobs, our homes, whatever it is, we all have a specific ministry that God has called us to fill. We all have a specific ministry with a corporate purpose. Does that make sense? You have influence. God has placed you around your roommates. God has placed you around your kids so that you could influence them for Christ. You have a ministry to fulfill. That's the first and most uh, most important thing that we can talk about so far this morning. And what's important to know is that all these things, being sober-minded, enduring suffering, working out as an evangelist, they all work together. You can't be, you can't endure suffering unless you're thinking clearly and being focused on Christ to navigate through the suffering. And you can't do the work of an evangelist if you don't know what it means to suffer, if you don't know what it means to be sober-minded. You can't clearly communicate the gospel. So my question to you this morning, church, is are you fulfilling the ministry that God has given you? Well, how do I know if I'm fulfilling the ministry that God has given me? The truth is, we will never be fulfilled until we begin to fulfill the ministry that God gives us. We will search. We will run from relationship to relationship. We will run from... Drink to drink, we'll run from technology to technology, trying to find this sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. But that fulfillment only comes through fulfilling the ministry that God has given us. And it is clear that God has given us a ministry to fulfill. So church, are you fulfilling that ministry? We're gonna look at a young man, well, not a young man, we're gonna look at a man of God this morning in the Old Testament who was struggling with this concept of fulfilling the ministry that God had given him. And you know him. His name's Elijah. You guys know Elijah. He is a, I mean, he's a spiritual stud of the Old Testament. He did some pretty cool things. He did some awesome things. But I don't want to focus today on his prophetic office, I want to focus on his humanity because sometimes when we try to compare ourselves to biblical characters, it can kind of be intense in the fact, like, I look at Elijah, I'm like, man, that guy called fire down from heaven, I can't do that. I look at the disciples, I say, man, those guys did amazing things, I'm not capable of doing that. But when we tap into their humanity and who they were as people, we can better identify ourselves with them and see how God used them to do amazing things. So that's what I want to focus on with Elijah, a struggle that he was having. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Kings 19, 13 through 18. 1 Kings 19, 13 through 18. We're going to read that here in just a second. I want to give you guys kind of a historical background so you know where we're coming in because we're coming in kind of mid-sentence here. When you get there, say hallelujah. Man, you guys are quick. Quick. Screen doesn't count, so. So, uh, First Kings 19, 13 through 18. What's taking place right now is the prophet Elijah, man of God. That is clear from the Bible. He's done some amazing things. This man of God is having a spiritual showdown. I mean, he is on fire for God. I mean, what's taking place is the spiritual showdown between him and 450 false prophets of a false god named Baal. Now they they get into it and they say we're going to do we're going to do a couple things and whoever is God shows up that's the winner. So they have this spiritual showdown. I mean, Elijah was on a fire down from heaven. He defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. Slayed them all with a sword. He had like a brave heart gladiator Russell Crowe moment. I mean, was like all in it. This is Sparta. Boom. You know, that was his moment. He had that moment. How many of you guys after that, I I mean, when was the last time you called fire down from heaven? How many of you did that, you would feel like you could do anything? If I could just fire down from heaven, here you go. Man, I'd be amped. And he was, he, he went and slayed those 450 prophets right after that. But one woman, one woman named Jezebel threatens his life and he flees out of the country. Just a side note, just to show you guys, women, you do have some influence. You do have a special, unique gift. Don't be afraid to use, I mean, one woman, this guy called fire down from heaven, and one woman's like, I'm gonna kill you. He's like, uh uh, ain't Bails. Women can be scary sometimes, men take notes. But what takes place is Elijah, he goes into this like manic depression because people are after him. He's kind of losing faith a little bit. He goes into this depression where he's like, God, take my life, everyone else is after me. I don't want to be here, I'm done. God allows him some rest. God gives him some rest, takes care of him, gives him everything he needs. But now God is calling him back into the scene. He's got a new way for him to go. And Elijah is struggling with this. And God is trying to get to him so he speaks like God does through a small, still voice. He's trying to get his attention, but he's just not paying attention. And sometimes God speaks to us through that still, small voice. Sometimes I feel like God wakes me up at like two o'clock in the morning because I'm too busy throughout the day to listen to him during the day, to hear what he has to say. So we're gonna pick up right when the still, small voice is taking place in verse 13. If you haven't read your Bibles, you're about to get a good chunk of reading in right now, so take a deep breath. Here we go. It says, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abal Maloah. Amen. You shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave, this is important right here. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother and I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what I've done to you, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yoke of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Whoo! That is a long passage. I want to walk through some of that with you because I know sometimes when we read scripture it can be like, what did he just say? And especially with Shaphat, Abad, Amoloah, and all that other stuff, it can be a little intense sometimes. So I want to walk through this with you. God is speaking to Elijah, calling calling him on to the next part of his ministry. And the first thing that he says to him is, what are you doing here, Elijah. And this is the second time that he is asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? And it's important to know that the way that this sentence is structured in the Hebrew and looking at previous scriptures, the way that this is said, what it's saying is evaluate your heart and what you're doing right now. What are you doing here, Elijah? See, Elijah had gotten comfortable kind of not being in that role, in that prophetic role, just kind of taking it easy, relaxing a little bit, He's growing comfortable and complacent. So God's question was, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that is my question this morning. What are we doing here, church? Why did you get out of bed this morning and come to church? Why did you walk through these doors? Why? Are you being obligated? Maybe by a spouse, maybe by a girlfriend, boyfriend, probably a girlfriend. You come in just to go through like the, re- the religious routine, check it off my box, what are we doing here? I really want you to search your heart this morning as to why exactly am I here, or am I here to begin to fulfill the ministry that God has called me to? He's challenging him to examine his heart, and it's important to understand that we as a church, we can get, it's really easy for us to get comfortable. It's really easy for us to get complacent and not really move or go for God or do anything. Like, we we get amped up as soon as we get to know Jesus. We're like, praise God, I'm gonna lift my hands, I'm gonna sing. And then all of a sudden, as time goes on, we just kind of decline in that. And what's funny is that we call that spiritual maturity. We mistake spiritual maturity for spiritual dullness. I see it all the time, and I'm just as guilty. I see people in here raising their hands, singing unto the Lord, giving it all they've got, and then you see other people looking at them going, give them three weeks, they'll calm down. You laugh because you know it's true. Give them a couple weeks, they'll calm down. They They just haven't been through it yet. They don't know the routine. And we call ourselves spiritually mature. But the truth of the matter is, church: the deeper and closer you go, to grow to the heart of God, the more you desire to worship Him more passionately, more just all the time. The deeper you go to grow closer to God, the more you want to worship Him. And people who are spiritually mature recognize that they don't let the person next to them dictate if they lift their hands or not. They don't let Lord. They let the Lord dictate whether they lift their hands or not. Does that make sense? So, what are we doing here? And Elijah's response was a little defensive. Instead of listening to what God was really saying, he got a little defensive. He said, I've been jealous for you. In other words, he's saying, I've done everything that you've told me to do. That was his immediate response. That shows a little bit of conviction on Elijah's part. God was speaking to him, what are you doing here, evaluating him? He got convicted and he responds immediately. We do this all the time as well, don't we? We know we know we should be doing something or shouldn't be doing something. And when somebody, maybe a pastor, or when somebody, maybe the Holy Spirit Himself himself shows up and says, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that, we think that conviction comes out. That conviction comes out, and then we no thanks. But I've done everything you want me to do. Done everything you want me to do. When that conviction comes out, it's important to know don't get mad at the pastor when you're convicted. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. Take it up with the Holy Spirit. Because so many times, pastors will get up and they'll teach their heart out and they'll teach everything that they've got, and, you're, and we become convicted, and all of a sudden we get mad at the pastor instead of slowing down, listening to what God is trying to teach us. That's called conviction, and it hurts. It really does. But Elijah goes on to say, I've been very jealous. I've done what you told me to do, and then he starts making a little bit of an excuse. I've done everything you told me to do. Nobody's listening. Israel is not listening. The nation of Israel is not listening. Just so you guys are on the same page with me, here in this this sermon, Elijah represents what the church looks like. Elisha represents the next generation, and Israel can easily represent our our American culture. Easily. Easily. Because what was taking place at this time with Elijah and Elisha and the nation of Israel is they have been completely and totally disobedient to the things that God has told them to do. They have have abandoned God, they have worshiped this false God named Baal who is the God of prosperity, fortunes, fame, riches, you name it. He is the most powerful Canaanite God according to them. They abandoned God and went to him. Went to this false God that's non-existent and Elijah has already been proven, has proven that God is God over everything. He is the real one true God. And I think it's funny because we don't see our friends out in our, on their front yards worshiping Baal today, do we? We don't see it. We don't hear anybody of worshiping this false God named Baal. We may not worship him by name, but we worship him by what he represents, by what that false God represents. Prosperity, greed, sexual morality, impurity, idolatry, we chase those things, we crave those things. So we may not worship Baal in the sense of worshiping actually hands down, worshiping. but we worship him by rejecting God, by pursuing those other things. And it's important to know that, check this out, I think this is a little interesting. Do you guys know what um, animal represented Baal? It was a bull, a raging bull, and it was meant to to show the prosperity, strength, and fame, and fortune of Baal. You know what sits right outside of our financial district in New York City? A raging bull. And you know what it represents? The sculptor himself, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, but the sculptor himself, in an interview, talked about how it represents the fame The prosperity, the strength of the American nation. Don't tell me this Baal stuff doesn't exist today. Because we chase after it every single day. But what Elijah's doing is he's saying, because of all that, because of all the idolatry, because of all the sin, because of all the rejection, I'm done. I'm done. It's hopeless, it's no use. I'm done. He sees a whole bunch of opposition. But where we see opposition, God sees opportunity. You guys understand that? Where we see opposition, God sees opportunity. When we say we're done because of too much opposition, that's a horrible excuse if you want to get out of the will of God. Because the more impossible the situation, the more glory God gets when he pulls us through. And that applies to any area of our life. Sickness, finances, spirituality, whatever it is. The more impossible something seems, the more glory God gets when he pulls us out of it. So when we see opposition, he sees opportunity. The kingdom is is flipped in a lot of ways. What we call rich, he calls poor. What we call wise, he calls stupid. What we call lost, he calls found. Those people that we critique and judge and make fun of or, or see as opposition. He says, I sent my son to die for them just like I did you. When we see opposition, he sees opportunity. How are we seeing this next generation that's coming up or the people around you right now here in this room, do we see culture, do we see the next generation as opposition or an opportunity to influence them? Because that will determine really quick where our heart is. We talked a moment ago about evaluating that heart. That will tell us really quick where our heart is. Oh, they're too far gone. No thanks. I don't want anything to do with them. And sometimes we even bring this this opposition mindset into the church. You know what? How many of us have a bad church story? A church hurt us at some point in time. A lot of hands in here. We've all, I mean, a lot of people have had really bad church experience. I've had them. A lot of people in this room have had them. Let me just encourage you, don't let that keep you from getting involved. Don't let that keep you from growing deeper in your faith. Don't hold on to that. Because it's a heavy weight to carry. Don't come in to the church seeing opposition based on past experience. See opportunity to get plugged in. I was gonna get up here and give you guys a whole bunch of statistics about the church and the next generation because I like statistics, they're fun, but what I've realized is that statistics, they only motivate us for a minute. When God's word, when we go straight to it, it can impact us and and cause us to endure and proclaim. So we're just gonna continue on in God's word. But what all the statistics were saying, to sum it all up for you, two things. One, the church right now sees the upcoming generations and outsiders as opposition Two, the upcoming generations. They're not leaving the church, they're saying that the church has left them. That's what all the statistics boil down to. And it's funny because we have, we see these statistics that say, oh, God, students leave their faith after high school. They don't leave their faith necessarily. More statistics are showing that they simply leave the church. And they hold on to their faith, which is a shallow faith at best, and then they begin to adopt culture into that. And then they have a skewed sense of who Jesus really is. Church, it is our job to pour into this next generation and invest in that next generation. There's blame on both sides, and we'll get to more of that here in just a second. But... Do we see a problem or a solution? Because it's easy to to talk about problems. It's harder to be a part of the solution. We see this all the time. People email us, I disagree with this. That color of the carpet shouldn't be this way. You shouldn't do this. That's about being a part of the problem, not being a part of the solution. Can we all agree that we would move forward as a church and this ministry would explode if we were all a part of the solution and not focusing on the problem? Could we all agree on that? I think so. I think so. Moving on, it, it, God, God sends Elijah and he says, go back to the wilderness. He says, go back to the wilderness. Elijah's throwing up excuses. God's only response to that is get back to work. He says, go back to the wilderness. He had traveled all the way south. It's time for him to go back to where he came from. And he is to anoint two kings. He's, anointed to, he's to anoint this one king over here and another king over here. And then he's supposed to go get Elisha. He goes and gets Elisha without anointing the two kings. I want you guys to notice that. He seems there seems to be something off. Because if God gives us instruction and we disobey that instruction, it either it's either one of two things. It's it's either we're half-hearted and we're not really giving God our best, or we're spiritually exhausted or we're worn out from something else. Or worn out from something else. I was always wondering why he didn't go anoint these two kings that God had told him to. And it boils down to those two things: half-hearted or he's worn out. Are we giving God our best this morning, church? It's awfully quiet in here. Are we giving God our best? Because we all have a specific ministry to fulfill. Are we fulfilling that? If you were to evaluate your heart right now and say, I'm giving God all I got, what is that answer? What is that answer? And notice that God says that he's gonna leave 7,000 faithful people. Those 7,000 are to be poured into by Elijah and Elisha to raise up to continue on because God has always been a God of discipleship, always. And then as we get into First Kings 19, 19, through 21, like I said, he went straight over to Elisha, went and got him. Maybe he's worn out. Maybe Elisha is just straight up worn out. How many of you guys have just been drained before? Like so exhausted you can't even move. Yeah, it's, it can be exhausting. Ministry can be exhausting. My question though is what's wearing us out? I've got a lot of questions this morning. Sorry, guys. What is wearing us out? Oftentimes, what's wearing us out is not that we're busy in ministry. It's that we're busy chasing other things. We're worn out from from chasing sports, chasing relationships, chasing technology, whatever it is whatever it is, we, we wear ourselves out doing things that don't really necessarily glorify God a lot. And then when church comes, when it, time, when it gets time to serve, we can only give God a little bit, the leftovers. So worn out leads to half hard, half-heartedness. And what's interesting is we get a lot, we get a lot of, I'm just too busy to serve. I, I, I just can't, I, I absolutely cannot serve, I'm way too busy. Way too busy. For some of us in here, doing the work of the ministry is really exhausting. There are some people in here who serve every single week and they're exhausted. That's why we only, we only ask that those who serve, serve one Sunday a month, two hours a day. Two hours a day. I know that a lot of us in here aren't busy or worn out because of things of the ministry but with the things of other things that we're chasing. I know that because we have a hard time getting people to show up one Sunday a month for two hours. What are we chasing that can be more important than ushering people in here to come to know Jesus and a lot of us right now are getting fidgety and upset. You don't know my schedule, you don't know, my, you don't know what I'm doing. I don't, the Holy Spirit does. Let's not get defensive, take a deep breath, and let's really see what God has wanted to speak to us right now. And it goes on to say, that he went and found Elisha. He went and found him. You wanna know how to reach the next generation? You go get them. Find them. Don't expect that they're gonna come walking through the doors anytime soon. It's done by what I call relational evangelism. Fancy word for discipleship. Go find them. And then what's interesting is that when he finds Elisha, Elisha is, we know that he was, Elisha was a, was a wealthy guy. He's plowing, he's got this field, he's got the land, he's got all the materials and tools and everything. We know he's a wealthy man. Elisha runs up to Elijah, and he says, let me go back really quick. Let me say goodbye. I'll be back. And Elijah's response was, go back, what have I done to you? I believe that's a challenge to Elisha, the upcoming generation saying, you better count the cost. Count the cost of what it means to truly follow. What does that look like to truly follow? He allows Elisha to go back. What does Elisha do? He counts the cost. He burns everything that was gonna keep him from following Elijah. He everything that was gonna keep him from fulfilling the ministry that God had given him to fulfill. He counted the cost. Church, what is keeping us from, from following Jesus with everything that we got? Because the truth is, is that we are not Christians, we are not Christ followers until we start going for Christ. God does not call us to sit here complacent and comfortably, tall. he tells us to go. Go is a popular word, Old Testament, New Testament, same God. Same go. What is keeping us from that? What plows do we need to burn? Is it a bad relationship? What is it? Notice, though, Jesus always calls us to a higher standard. Grace doesn't... Grace doesn't allow us to sit idle. By grace, we should be motivated to go. Notice Jesus raises the standard in Luke 9, 32. He says, whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. There was a couple guys before that going, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go back. Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me go back. The thing is, we need to move our butt out of the way and start following. I want to follow you, but... Elisha was allowed to return to go burn the plows, but Jesus says, follow me now. Follow me now. He raises the standard for us. And Elisha, he was wealthy. He destroyed everything that was gonna keep him from going back. What is that thing? I feel like like there's some people in here that have, there's something keeping them from taking that step of faith towards God. What is that plow in your life that you need to burn? There's somebody in this room who I know, I keep going back to it, there's a plow that needs to be burned. There's something keeping you from fully being dedicated to Jesus. So how do we reach the next generation? What I want you to understand about the King's narrative, 1 Kings and 2 Kings, it's written written to give a historical account for 500 years from King David to the Babylonian captivity. You guys know about the Babylonian captivity, that's where Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Fiery Furnace, Daniel and the lion's den, that was the captivity. From King David to here. And it was written from somebody in captivity. Say, giving a historical account saying, if you wanna avoid captivity, don't do what we did. Pour into the next generation, share God's word, bring people to Jesus. He's writing from captivity saying, look at Elijah and Elisha, that's what it should look like. You should go find people and young people, no more excuses, let's go get discipled. Let's go, let's grow in maturity. Discipleship and relational evangelism is not 50-50, it's 100-100. is riding from captivity. And it's important to know that if we're not leading people to Christ, if we're not sharing our faith, if we're not doing the work of an evangelist, if we're not fulfilling our ministry, then we're leaving people in captivity. We are leaving them in captivity. I heard a pastor say once, and it's kinda stuck with me, the ultimate way to love somebody is to share the gospel. Do you guys agree with that? As Christians, the ultimate way to to show love is to share the gospel. But that means not sharing it is a form of hatred. So how do we do it? I'm gonna to talk to a couple different people right now. Parents, it starts with you. It starts with you. Church, youth ministry, it should not be a substitute for your, for your child's spiritual development. It should be a supplement. can't tell you how many times a parent calls and says, I need you to help my kid, I need you to help my kid, I need you to help my kid, and that's my job, and I love to counsel, I love to equip and disciple. But the very first question I ask parents is, where is your faith at? Where, where are you in your faith? That's the first question I always ask parents. Well, oh, well, 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 you know. Where are you in your faith? So parents, it starts with you, young people, no more excuses. I look at that statistic, so oh, the church left me. If you see a problem in the church, let's not, be a pro- let's not be a part of the problem, let's be a part of the solution. Let's get in there and do something about it. Because there's a, we're only one generation away from losing Christianity, always. Church is a place for people to be equipped, for people to hear the gospel, for lives to change so that we can go out and change other lives. And to the older generations in here, you know, Elijah had been doing this prophecy thing, this prophetic thing for about 30 something years, 35 years, and he thought that his best ministry was behind him. He's saying, God, take me now. But God says, no, the best ministry is ahead of you. Nowhere, when in, regards, in regards to faith, nowhere is the word retirement mentioned in the Bible. We're not done until we disciple. We're not done until we fulfill the ministry that God has called us to fulfill. The minute we think that we're spiritually mature and know it is the very same minute we begin to decline because we think we got it. Parents, it starts with you. Young people, no more excuses. Older generations, the ministry is just getting started for you, who are we gonna be pouring into? Who has God placed in your life? I guarantee you, if you were here in this room, God has placed somebody in your life to invest, to equip, to challenge you. And we should always be discipled. Good disciples always want to be discipled, no matter what age. I've got godly men weekly pouring into my life because I need it. And I recognize that need. I will take just a couple seconds to evaluate our hearts, ask the Lord what he's wanting you to see about the ministry that you need to fulfill. Who is it that you need to reach out to? Who is it that you need to encourage? Who is it that you need to disciple? I guarantee you there's somebody, God doesn't leave any Christian without somebody to disciple. And some of us here are evaluating our hearts and saying, you know what, I'm sick of not being fulfilled. I'm sick of chasing emptiness, because you guys know that we're created to to be and feel empty without Christ, right? Nothing else will really satisfy, made temporarily. But some of us here today are saying, "I'm, I'm sick of feeling empty. Jesus is tugging on my heart and I want a relationship with him, I'm ready. I've never committed to him and I want to commit to him today. If that's you and you're here in this room and you're ready to make a decision, the best decision, the most important decision of your life and follow Jesus, I'm just gonna ask you to stand up. Stand up. We just want to celebrate with you. We don't, want to, we don't want to call you out. Amen. Anybody else? Let this be an encouragement. Anybody else? That's, that's good. That's amazing. It's going from death to life. And Miss Vivian's gonna come pray with you, ma'am. You're gonna feel like you can run through a brick wall here in a second. She's good. Now for the rest of us. We have ministry to fulfill. We have people to disciple. We have a generation to get in this building. What does that look like for you? We're gonna close with that Psalm that we started off with, Psalm 17 or 71, 17. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come forward. If you need prayer, if you're struggling fulfilling your ministry, if you're struggling being sober-minded, thinking clearly, if you're struggling enduring suffering that you're going through, whatever suffering that may be, or if you're struggling doing the work of an evangelist, and what that means is living in such a way that on the outside, you, you look like an evangelist. I mean, you are an evangelist. If you're struggling to be committed, I ask that you'll come up and get prayer after we, after we read this. And for the rest of you, I ask you to be dismissed quietly as people are gonna come forward and get prayer challenge yourself this week to evaluate the ministry that God has called you to fulfill let's read this and we'll pray oh God from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds so even to old age and gray hairs O oh God do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation your power to all those to come Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for a challenge, Father. Search our heart. Convict us. In what way do we need to take a step? Guide us in that Holy Spirit, just guide us. Thank you for who you are and what you've done through your son Jesus and it's in his name we pray.